Hello, this is Elizabeth and Lee with Austin Enneagram, and we are continuing our book study of Naranjo's Enneatype Structures, and we're now doing Type 2, um, which is... Chapter 2. Chapter 2, Type 2, page 35, title of which is Egocentric Generosity. Which even though Elizabeth and I were just talking about how I kind of get annoyed with him. He's hard to read and I have a very push-pull relationship with this book. That's but funny. That's funny. I actually really like that title. Oh, I do too. I think it gets it's a great, so much. Just straight at it. And so my new thing, you know how I like to come up with little things that I call people. <laughs> my new thing for twos is the pleaser who is hard to please. I like, you like it. it. Pleaser who is hard to please. Um, so, mm. I think that generally speaking, the twos that I know would not call themselves hard to please. Right. But I think they really are. Um, so, uh, that's uh, something that I wasn't able to get my head around until I read Naranjo. Um, he's really, really good about discussing pride. Yeah, there are some really different um, descriptions or lenses that he helps us look at pride. Totally. I think. Mm-hmm. So I think calling it egocentric generosity is, is just a way of talking about pride right there. Um, on page 36 at the top, He's, he calls it to an individual who not only asserts his own value, but does so with an aggressive self-elevation vis-a-vis others and a disregard for established values and authorities. Mm-hmm. Um, fundamental to it is the strategy of giving in the service of both seduction and self-elevation. Yeah, he he talks about this a few different times, and I'd love to talk to twos about this. I don't know that we really talked about this at our number night, but the whole disregard of values and authorities. Most twos I know are feel like rule followers to me, mm-hmm. and so I, I think maybe he gets to that a little bit as we unpack it. Yeah, but I think that would be confusing. It is. It's confusing to me, and it, it I think it would be confusing well. to most twos I know, because yeah. they feel part feel of what they're. I think their egocentric kind of space is, and it can feel a little one-ish, is that if they follow the rules, they'll get what they want, kind of thing. Or if they're right, I, I don't know, but yeah, that no, doesn't con- sound right to me. It's confusing to me. Yeah, I feel like we did get into it a little bit, but I'm trying to remember what was said. Um, also, just thinking about how Suzanne call, you know, talks about the dependent stance, and if you think of it too, and the, which is in the dependent stance, it seems confusing to me. However, now that I'm in the middle of saying that, mm-hmm. um, sixes who are also in the dependent stance, um, and one, so one, two, six, yeah. six, maybe all have a conflictual relationship with authority. I think they do. Because they're dependent on it. Mm-hmm. Because they're looking on the outside for what they want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just throwing that out. Oh. Help us out, twos. Thinking out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so at the bottom of page 36, um, it talks about um, the position point of type 9 in the middle of the Enneagram evokes the fact that laziness may be regarded as a neutral middle point of the spectrum of the passions and that active unconsciousness which is Mm -hmm. he's describing nines as being actively unconscious which I think is it's true I think it's super (laughs) interesting way to talk about nines actively unconscious Um, so nines who are actively unconscious though present in every fallen mind is but he's saying in general though present in every fallen mind which is in the foreground of the enneotype non phenomenon Um, we may envision pride, uh, the sin of the two as a passion for self-inflation or in other words, a passion for aggrandizement of the self image. Um, the word has the disadvantage of evoking a person whose behavior is mostly that of flattery. Whereas the reality is 
that of a personality given not only to flattery, but in similar measure to disdain, which Mm -hmm. is interesting. Mm -hmm. The person flatters those who through nearness gratify his pride, disdains most of the rest in haughty superiority. More than anybody else, the proud or the twos practice something called mutual comfort operation. Yeah. Which I, I think that it's so interesting. It's kind of like I'll rub your back and you rub mine, I guess, or and I think that is close to the teaching of the two that's real generalized, right? That's okay. out there. Yeah. That I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna give you what you want, what what I think you need, what I think you want. Yeah. And the unwritten deal is that you're gonna give it back to me. You're right. gonna give you're gonna please me too. You know? Right. That that kind of mutual mutual space yeah and I guess I guess that I have always probably in my teaching and in my thinking have over focused on their being so helpful and mm-hmm. and kind of that I, I think I was I knew that the teaching and Suzanne t- taught about them having kind of being manipulative and wanting it to come back to them but I don't think I was aware of how fully those like that they really the like the more they're going out to get it the more they're seeking like the there's so much what am I trying to say strategy that they are that that goes into all this mm-hmm. they are like I think he's somewhere in Iran who calls them like princess in the pea like they're yeah. really on top of this all they're making new mattresses they need lots of mattresses to not feel that pee and I um Wow, I just, I don't know. I just never thought of them that way. Yeah. I just thought of them as so benevolent. I mean, I'm not saying they're not benevolent, but I've just always thought of them as this beautiful giver, you know. (laughs) For some reason I have, I I guess because I heard Father Rohr teach first, and I don't remember his exact words, but they were, he he called the two the old crone. And he like had this image with a stick and kind of going after what they wanted. This kind of, which is not the light, beauty, effervescent, bubbly space that we often put twos in, which Mm -hmm. in that they give that lightness. So I don't know if I've kind of had that in my all along mind. Um, But yeah, I think most teaching does focus more on. The giving and and them not knowing what they need. Yes, Um, and I think even like Beatrice Chestnut um, talked about how she found it hard to see herself as a two mm -hmm. because the teaching was so much about how helpful they are, and she doesn't see herself as that way. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I just going back to page thirty six. I thought this description on the in the first full paragraph there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He says. The official, quote-unquote, psychology of Enneotype 2 has failed to properly describe the characteristic of false generosity in in its character. For the description of hysterical, which Elizabeth and I are not, Naranjo uses that word hysteria and hysterical quite a bit, Mm -hmm. not into it, um, have emphasized impulsive egocentricity Whereas it would be more exact to speak of a complementary egocentricity and seeming generosity. And so that's the title, right? That there is, mm. um, uh, we've focused on the generosity part. Right. And that they have a lack of egocentricity in some ways. Um, or that almost it feels like oftentimes we're telling twos in a generalized teaching that they need to build up their ego a little more to have boundaries to know who they are and i think (laughs) what he does here i mean that's kind of how we teach it right right right? i think we might but the egocentricity um and the seeming generosity that they are giving the service of seduction and self kind of elevation self aggrandizement uh-huh uh-huh even though that pride can feel really light he talks about that that it feels the way that they um put on pride yeah feels light and accessible yeah you know yes mm-hmm. um let's see um okay so the mutual comfort operation i thought that was good 
Um, what about the points two and four? Oh, I, you, you know, that? I want to talk yeah, about that. Let's let's do. Um, so, in all three character types, talking about two, threes, and fours, which are all in the heart triad, feeling triad, mm-hmm. mapped at this corner, we may say that there operates a mistaken sense of being, in what others see and value. So that it is the self-image rather than rather than the true self upon which the psyche gravitates, out of which action flows and on which is supported a person's sense of value. Points two and four stand in opposite positions in mm-hmm. regard to point three and involve internal gestures of expansion and contraction of the self-image, respectively. So twos are expanding their self-image, mm-hmm. fours are contracting in on their self-image. Um, uh, whereas envy tends to sadness, so whereas four sin is envy, tends to sadness, pride, the sin of two, characteristically is supported by a happy internal atmosphere, which you were Mm -hmm. just talking about, the kind of that bubbly. And some of that, I think, comes from their, their real, um, intuitiveness and, and like a three, Mm -hmm. able to read the room and able to know what actually they need to tap into to give us that energy that we find seductive and therefore then we come into it and then they get what they get, what they want. Um, so any type four is tragic, any type two comic, um, uh, just as with other sets of antipodal characters, and I had to look up that word, antipodal means opposite sides. <laughs> so so uh, he's talking about twos and sevens. Um, so just as with other sets of, of, of numbers on the opposite side of the circle, twos mm-hmm. and seven characters in the Enneagram, there is an affinity between the points two and seven. Both the gluttons, sevens, and the proud, too, are gentle, sweet, and warm people. Both may be said to be seductive. Yep. And they are both narcissistic in the general sense of being delighted with themselves. <laughs> I think that's funny. Yeah. Also, both are impulsive. Moreover, they use seductiveness in the service of their impulsiveness. Yet they do this in different ways. The proud, twos, seduce emotionally. And the glutton sevens seduce intellectually. Um, so I, I think that's super interesting. It's like uh, the power. It's their place of power. Sevens mm-hmm. are, are intellectualizing everything and they know how to seduce out of that space. Twos are making everything emotional and they're seducing out of that place. It's really yeah. interesting way to... Although, like, then he writes, and I wrote, like, I feel like this difference that he points out I have not experienced it as existing. He says the main contrast between the two characters, so between the seven and the two, is that while gluttons, or the seven, is amiable and diplomatic, (laughs) the proud can either be sweet or aggressive. So that is, I have sometimes remarked um, that their motto might be make love and war. And I, I I don't know that I... I feel like that might be a little backwards, or maybe I haven't experienced it in that way. You mean like you I mean I don't think sevens that sevens are lo- not necessarily amiable and diplomatic. I don't I don't necessarily experience them as well. I think they can be they diplomatic, can be. Um, but uh, I think twos can too. Right. So I don't I don't that feels like a false a little bit of a false difference to me. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows? And um, mm-hmm. and I, but I do like the I, the idea of seducing emotionally and seducing intellectually. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the big difference is that one's using their head, mm-hmm. and then the two or the seven's using their head. Sorry, yeah. And then the type two is using their feelings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes on to talk about eight. So polarity also exists between two and eight. Pride and lust in that both are impulsive and also arrogant though two adopts more often an attitude of being so good as to not need to compete whereas the eight is intensely competitive and visibly arrogant yeah i'd love to hear twos and eights talk about like in a relationship that dynamic yeah that'd be so Uh like so good you don't need to compete that's 
I mean, that's another way of talking about Prada, I guess. Yeah. Until, <laughs> I think, until also seems like they don't get what door. they want. Right. Until the two, then they'll compete. Then they'll throw down. Yeah. It seems. They'll make love and war. Yeah. Um, I wrote, I wrote in my margin, uh, two threes and fours as believing in the illusion of self as a strategy. Mm. Um, and I think we all have our strategies that we think are going to, and I think we all believe in illusion. I think we all believe in the illusion of the self in general. Yeah. But I think two threes and fours have, have, have really hung a lot on that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, uh, I think that, uh, what I wrote is two's decorating of the psyche um, feels similar to a four where a four's decoration promotes lack and a two's decoration promotes pride. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like twos and fours are kind of always um, putting, you know, we're, we're, I like to say we're decorating ourselves with concepts that we find pleasing. Um, but it's, it, 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 I mean, in my coming from my point of view as a four, I feel like, oh well, at least that seems to be getting somewhere for the two. At least, like, <laughs> at least they're decorating themselves and finding these things that they love, and that's kind of propping them up, even if it's making them a little pride. It's making them prideful, and they have right. to realize that. But it it it's, it almost like does the opposite for a four. It just makes, it makes you, you more and more aware of how short you fall of of what your ideal self is meant, what you want. So. Um, yeah. And the threes just doing it. They're just doing it. <laughs> they don't want to think, I don't want to analyze it too much. So good. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, on page 39, he starts getting into what he calls trait structures and, um, which are the pretty much all derivatives of pride. Although he calls them psychological corollaries of pride. Of course he does. So there you go. Psychological corollaries of pride. Yeah. It's great. Um, He, at the top of 39, describes twos as playing the part of the princess, Mm -hmm. demanding privileges, boasting, needing to be the center of attention, and so on. And so, you know, I've always... I mean, I feel like that's a real... It's a real. It's like on a seesaw in a way because that part of the two where Suzanne talked about, she had that needle point at her office where she's the center of her whole family and all the mm-hmm. love and care there. Mm-hmm. I think that's what they're after. Yeah. And and what it tips into if they're not working on their pride is being the center of everything in a neurotic way. Yeah. And not being the center of everything like the uh, like this like us the. The axis of a wheel that creates structure and comfort for everybody, it can tip over into just this, uh, um, you know, kind of obsequious cloud of treacly, mm-hmm. um, too muchness that that we're you know where where it just feels awkward yeah. and uh, yeah. I think that's a good way to talk about it. I like that. You do. I like the wheel image. Because it can be good or bad. It's not mm-hmm. that, that wanting to be the center and hold things up and hold people together is a bad thing. It's just that if... If that's you, where your value lies. It's kind of like me with peace. Yes. Right? It's not that peace is a bad thing. Right. But if it's the end all, be all, then it's a bad thing. And right. doesn't even really doesn't, feel like peace anymore. No. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that... Yeah. I think that's a nice image. Yeah. And, and that's just a good reminder always that our... Light is our dark, and our dark is our light. Yeah. It's both. And I've been thinking a lot, too, just because I'm trying to do my um, Sam Harris meditations every morning. And a lot of what he talks about is is um, getting rid of the ego, which is getting rid of the personality. And then, like, Alan Watts was talking about that there's no more egocentric activity than trying to get rid of the ego. Which I thought was really funny because I think that it can become an obsession that ends up being an object uh, 
it can, that can end up being an egocentrical journey in and of itself. But my, what's my point? My point is, is that as I'm trying to meditate and as I'm trying to be, um, to, to get back from myself and, um, see myself as a flow of energy or a flow of consciousness and and the more you can do that and the more you realize you don't have to interject yourself into that flow of consciousness I think that what the Enneagram is is it's a tool to see that process just like meditation is a tool to see that you are not your thoughts your thoughts or your feelings yeah the Enneagram is showing you the way in which you've latched on what kinds of thoughts and feelings you've latched onto that you thought were true with the ultimate goal of us not being all up in all these descriptors of your number and all up in how we're all this and that and different and but really to transform ourselves out of it and not even need to be identified with that number that the identification of that number is not really important at all mm-hmm. which is where the circle comes in right and so I just wanted because I've been thinking about it a lot because sometimes when I'm trying to realize how much my identity doesn't matter uh, in as a spiritual mm-hmm. practice mm-hmm. then I'm like oh the Enneagram can feel so the opposite of that yeah but so I just wanted to kind of reiterate that it's just a, it's just an arrow pointing to where you're tripping yourself up so that you can step out of it. And well, and also like I think the whole getting the language of getting rid of the ego, right, kind of leads you to use your ego to get rid of your exactly. ego, which is a big trap. But exactly. I think like Russ Hudson's language, I think he does so good and talking about kind of letting things fall away Mm. but if I notice what I'm up to and can be or practice or let the flow whatever and just let it let it not be the thing that makes me who I am or that I'm aware enough to know that my personality or my attachments you know if I'm a two that my attachment to this ego egocentricity if I'm aware that that's happening, then I can let it fall away mm-hmm. and see what's there. Yeah. Like I can, tr- and I can. I think the more we do our spiritual work, we can trust that something's there. Yeah. <laughs> like I think part of or, our, it's hard to believe sometimes. That yeah, because we don't. Not, we're not in this space that what is underneath will not be enough. Like it's. Yeah, or 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 kind of realizing trick that maybe there is nothing there not Mm -hmm. in a nihilistic way but that there doesn't need to be anything there and that that (laughs) i know i know i'm i'm still good it's good i'm always yeah okay i I think that's how we find words to talk about our spiritual lives right and to talk about what it's is to do this work and the work it's not the work is not to be a better two or to be no a better four the work is to move Closer to your center. The work is to which makes you look like no number to know basically. these things fall away. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I don't imagine any of us will ever get there. If no, you're of course great. not. Mm-hmm. But, um, but and I think part of that is the transformation mm-hmm. of what you were just trying to explain. Yeah. The wheel. That's part of it. Right. Is that there is a and if we could live in that space all the time, mm. then we wouldn't need you and I don't wouldn't even need to use words or use the enneagram. Or talk right. about it at all. Right. We then, just know. We would just know. But we're just, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. just wanted to throw that in there. Um, okay, so love need. The intense love need. So this is the first two. derivative of the first corollary of pride. Okay. Love need. Love okay. need. Thank you. Um, the intense love need of type 2 individuals may be sometimes obscured by their characteristic independence particularly when in the presence of frustration and humiliated pride. The proud person can rarely be fulfilled in life without a great love. The excessively romantic orientation of type 2 toward life can be understood as a result of an early love frustration associated with the loss of support in one's experience of personal value. Hmm. 
just as the need to confirm an inflated sense of worth overflows into an erotic motivation, pride overflows in the need for love, for the need to regard oneself as special is satisfied through the love of another. The need for intimacy of, of type 2 makes of the person of a touchy-feely type, and a mm-hmm. subtler level leads to an intolerance of limits and to invasiveness. Yeah. Also, the strong need for love of the proud makes them over-involved in relationships and possessive. So all of that is a pretty uh, intense way to talk about love need. I think it's a good description of it. I think it's like it's interesting to me that um, like the invasiveness piece, but also that to share with fours that desire to be special, but that they satisfy the desire to be special through the love of another. And that's a real crucial difference between a two and a four, I would say. Mm-hmm. I am not look. My specialness does not come from being in relationship to someone. So I think again, that's that probably that de- dependent stance of a two. Do my, you think as a four sometimes that would take away your specialness, or you have to be on the lookout if that relationship might detract from your specialness? Specialness. Um. I don't know. Um, I think, I I think like all the collaborative work I've been doing lately with my art has been a a real kind of exercise in, um, if you want to call it, uh, outsourcing my specialness, (laughs) (laughs) like just, you know, bringing a lot of people in who know, know a lot more about whatever I'm trying to do than I do and like have and sharing my vision with them and having them have ideas and having that flow go back and forth is really possibly shape it definitely Mm -hmm. shape it definitely shape it and that's so humbling and um so I think that's a maybe a lesson I don't know if I'm answering your question but that's a lesson to me in that when I need other people and and share the journey things get special mm-hmm. <laughs> in the real sense of the, in the word. real sense um yeah I think that's a real you know whereas twos I think are I mean it's almost like twos and fours are opposite that way so like a two is outsourcing the specialness and that's when we come in like you were saying earlier where they need to work on their ego and work on standing their own two feet and and so it I mean this it, Paragraph talked like the words that we use a lot: codependent, mm-hmm. boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know that that's part of what this love need. The places that we try to hang this when we teach type two. Yes, you know that there is this intense codependence, and I know in our number night that last time we had the type two, they really talked about that that is a hardcore thing in them yeah of needing to connect and getting the response that feedback that feedback loop is super important to them yeah and um i think they use the words codependent in yeah. that way yeah. yeah um okay um on page 41 uh hedonism he talks about hedonism um, he talks about hedonism as a way of understanding um, a need for love. The wish for pleasure um, can be seen as a substitute for pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, indeed, these persons typically need to be loved erotically or through delicate expression of tenderness um, in the measure to which they equate being loved with being pleased, which this we talk about a lot. This is where the princess and P comes in here. Yeah, it's... and I love that. I love mm-hmm. that. I like the... Like the princess in Grimm's fairy tale of the princess and the pea, whose noble blood is discovered in the fact that she is distressed by a pea under the mattress, the affectionate and tender type 2 individual can become a fury when not indulged and made to feel loved through pampering, such as is characteristic of a spoiled child. Mm-hmm. And I think this is kind of the similarity, like if we go back to the seven, mm-hmm. and it's you know, the very next sentence he says, the compulsive pursuit of pleasure of the Enneagram type two, which we don't really think of. The compulsive Mm. pursuit of pleasure of the Enneagram type two person 
naturally supports this kind of light and gay persona of blah, histrionic people. I mean, yeah, we we, um, we don't like his word. And the pretended contentedness and animation, like pretended. And I think mm, that's an I think compulsive to... pursuit of pleasure and the hedonism word, you know, going back to the comparison of the seven, mm-hmm. that we both, that there is a, there is a blind spot to both of these. Yes. In, in a seven and, and in a two, which I think is part of what makes it feel light mm-hmm. until you are on the wrong side of it. Right. Like they are both, they are both kind of blind to what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, sevens are moving forward, looking for light um, for different reasons to quelch their fear. And then the twos want that, what want what they want. Yeah. Want, you know, <laughs> but they do it from such a light place. We don't even realize it's happening. And I don't think place. they even know, right? right? That there is this, um, until they, until they know that they don't get what they want. And mm-hmm. then it spins, right? And the mm-hmm. same with the, like a seven that withdraws all their energy and is done and moves on, that it feels, um, so intense and um yeah i think that's an interesting aspect of the two that we don't talk about much true i've never really talked about them as pleasure loving in general i guess um it's like a compulsive pursuit of pleasure wrapped up in being loved (laughs) yes you know yes that their pleasure is being loved Mm, yes is the pleasure they're after not options but being loved like not options like the seven but their pleasure is bringing it you know yeah they don't whereas a seven might run the opposite way yeah yeah (laughs) their hedonism would take them elsewhere yeah like twos don't have real issue issues Mm -mm. with freedom and twos are gonna nuzzle right in that's what they're after right Mm -hmm. interesting um seductiveness is the next trait um and I've really loved this. Those who are in need of affection mm. because of being secretly insecure in regard to it yeah. are in turn warm, supportive, sensitive, empathic, even though their display of love may have inspired epithets such as superficial, fickle, unstable, and so forth. Yeah. Um, but I liked... I like the the need for affection arising out of secret insecurity, mm-hmm. um, which you know is true of us all. But I was going to say that's where our sin rises up for all of us is that exactly. we're not secure that what we need is there, right? And that we have what we need, right? Um, right. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, There's a giving in, to get kind of generosity. In the That's what we talk about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I have a question by, about this. And we talked about this. He does talk on page 42 where he says, it must be pointed out that the Enneotype 2... Where are you? Do you mind? Uh, the first full paragraph. It's okay. a little paragraph, two sentences. Okay. It must be pointed out that the Enneotype 2 only flatters those seen as worthy enough to be seduced. Wow. And this is that piece that we don't, you know, that we're trying to understand that Naranjo really lifts up. But again, not my experience. I think we would really have to get into a two's head, which is supposedly what, he, I mean, he done, he'd done. And I don't think Jenny would mind me sharing this. But, I mean, part of the joke with my friend Jenny is, like, we are like, keep your eyes down. We don't need to be on the make with everyone on our walk <laughs> to the restaurant, right? right. Like, she... See, she is make she is seducing everyone, and it's like it's a it's compulsive unless she is aware of it. Like she has to, it is a practice for her not to go after all the ones, um, and so that feels. Um, I, I you don't believe I, it. I don't the ones that are worthy of being seduced. That must be really buried in them. If that's yeah. true, because I feel now like a Beatrice Chestnut, I think mm-hmm. maybe a self-preserving uh, yes. two is going to yes. be. So maybe that's about a self-preserver who is more strategic in, and are aware that they're more strategic in their seduction to get what they, they only want. only have enough energy to So to they're going to do that. So I don't know if this is more 
maybe a sexual too is just broadcasting it's gonna anywhere there is need they are if they meet your eye they are moving towards you um so it just that that felt um that didn't feel true to me in your experience yeah Taste, you know, I which think you have that's another place to go mm-hmm. is to think about subtypes um, yes. and how how these derivatives of pride land um, under different whether instincts. you're sexual. Yeah. Um, so that I could see that oh, being lady, true and strategic be... for a self pressed person. Yeah. Uh huh. I think we could really unpack that yeah. on, in a in a podcast and yeah. another podcast. Um, when we have guests on or yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, assertiveness. I didn't underline anything. Do you, do you have anything under assertiveness um, you want to read? I mean, I think it's worth unpacking because sure. I don't think it's a word that we would use with twos right. generally, right? Right. Um, so he says, I mean, I underlined a lot, partly because I didn't really understand it. Okay, good. Dominance is also a characteristics. Uh, characteristic of Enneotype 2. What? Dominance is also a characteristic of Enneotype 2 and constitutes a derivative of pride. But rather than the harsh, tyrannical demandingness of, for example, an Enneotype 8, or the moralistic dominance of the Enneotype 2, or 1, sorry, Mm -hmm. Enneotype 1, who exacts their due as an authority, Enneotype Two gets their wishes met through daring assertiveness or chutzpah. Interesting, right? It is an ass- it is the assertiveness of one who, at the same time, is supported in a good self concept and propelled by a strong, uninhibited drive, which contributes to the aura, vitality, and adventurousness of this character. So, I, it's almost like. He it feels very three-ish. He tries to describe their assertiveness as a um, ten, almost like a tenderness, like they, like this. Maybe their move, their assertiveness is their move towards us or their move into our space. But it doesn't, it doesn't feel dominating to us unless we don't want it. I right, guess. Right. Right. Um, yeah. But that is. I think because it again, it's coming out of that heart space. Yeah. It, it generally feels warm and okay with us, um, but I do think it can be very unboundaryed, and it can yeah. feel it can feel aggressive in a warm and squishy way. Right. It, it's just it a is different kind of kind like of keep of your eyes down, Jenny. Yeah. Don't like the assertiveness of moving towards mm-hmm. someone who looks like they might have a need. Um, and the ten, the tenderness yeah. that is in that, right? You can really right? justify that. Yeah, probably. that there is, um, yeah, I guess there is a certain amount of vitality and, he says, an aura of adventure, right? Mm-hmm. That when we're moving towards people or moving to meet a need, that I guess that is a way to think of assertiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very hard to it's think It's very of hard to dominance. stop them from that. It is hard. And it's some, they are assertive in that they're way. They're assertive yeah. in, in meeting needs and getting their needs met. And I think it's hard to even point that out to them sometimes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think that it just feels so natural. Yeah. Um, do you have anything to say on nurturance and false abundance? Mm-hmm. Did you underline anything there? I don't know why I didn't underline there. Uh, <laughs> like, no. Um, so I, I think it is another interesting way to talk about pride, mm-hmm. for sure. And he says the repression of neediness. Repression um, of neediness. Yeah, so it's a repression of neediness that is part of pride. Mm-hmm. So this false abundance. And I think, I actually think this is a way we teach twos, mm-hmm. is that we they pretend they have what they need. Um, he is pointing out the fact that they are getting what they need. Yes. Right? But there is still under that, like the rest of us, it's not there. They aren't getting what they need. Right. Ultimately, right? They're not um, um, getting getting what they need. So that middle paragraph there, he says, the proud are supposedly okay 
and very much better than okay. (laughs) And to sustain this, they must indeed pursue their pleasure in a compensatory manner. Compensatory manner. Yet nothing would be less okay than to be in need of love. So they can't articulate that, right? right? So that makes it a false, Mm -hmm. like a false abundance. Mm -hmm. For pride in the course of personality development has been particularly attached to their self-image as a giver Mm. rather than a receiver, one that's already filled with satisfaction to the point of generous overflowing. Wow. Repression of neediness is not only supported by hedonism, but the vicarious identification with the neediness of others (laughs) and those towards whom... The individual extends their sympathy, empathy, and seductive nurturance. Hmm. So that's a, I mean, that's a big, the big loop. Yeah. I don't have needs, and we do concentrate on that. But I think his words, nurturance and false abundance, mm-hmm. um, that we're putting out, or twos are putting out there, that they've already got what they need. They're overflowing to you. Oh, and you poor needies. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay for everyone else to have needs. Right. Um, And I think what is so tricky or what um, Naranjo is pointing out is that they are still getting their needs met. I think that's the tricky part. Like they are actually, they're playing us. Totally. They're playing us. Honestly, I work harder to make twos happy than I do any other number. Like I'm tap dancing to make sure they're comfortable. You know, uh-huh. and I don't uh-huh. really do that. Uh huh. So they 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 are savvy. Yeah. So yeah, it's that whole that nurturance and false abundance is, um, and then that compulsion. He, I think that's a. I mean, mm-hmm. that could be a. This little section could be something twos read every day. As yeah. a, a mantra. There's some mantras in there. Yeah. Um, for the twos. Um, for sure. They sustain the proud or their pride in the sense of having much love to offer as well as covertly satisfying their love need. Mm-hmm. So they get kind of caught up in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the, the next word is the word we don't like, the histrionic, histrionics, histrionism. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I don't, I, you know, it's just a word that as a woman I don't like it, but it carries a lot of baggage. It does. Um, the only thing I underlined under that trait was halfway down the page on page 44 mm-hmm. the avoidance of the humiliation of having to submit to somebody else's power, societal rules, and all manner of constraints. So mm-hmm. that goes back to that first thing you were asking, like, um, that they don't, uh, that kind of the issues with authority mm-hmm. of the of maybe the dependent stance, um, and so he's characterizing it as avoiding the humiliation of having to submit to somebody else's power yeah. and rules. Um, it's interesting because again, maybe the false abundance plays into that because because yeah, they get to deny their dependency because they're already. They've already put their dependency out there, and they've already gone out to make to have the love need, and they've already uh, trying to, you know, supply everyone else's needs. So there's something, there's some delusion there, I guess. Of there's some disconnect that I don't quite understand. Um, that they're they're doing all that already, but they're involved with it, trying to avoid the humiliation of. Of the submission of that, and whereas I feel like they've already submitted in a way, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't really know. Well, I think that's the tricky part of pride, mm-hmm. to a degree, is that they, if you have this idea of yourself that your needs are already met, and that you have this overflowing generosity, mm-hmm. that's really squishy to try to get to. Yeah. Um, and so. If you think you've got what you need, yeah. or you don't need anything, or that's what you're projecting into the world um, to get what you want, which is interesting, right? That you 
there is not a need to be dependent on outside structure to give you what you need. Maybe, maybe uh, that's what they're talking about. I don't know. I don't know. Um, God, I'm starting to talk like Naranjo. <laughs> Weird. Well, if any um, twos out there have any any thoughts they want to share with us about twos and authority um, and submission um, and societal rules and rule following versus not rule following authority following versus not authority following we're all ears right mm-hmm. well and he uses the word happy and intensity mm-hmm. um which can be considered can considered intensity which can be considered along with wit a means of attracting attention um it is not only an addiction but also a form of posing and sustaining this illusion of positivity mm. you know that's that is a a big part of the type two, an illusion of positivity. Yeah. And so I guess like um, histrionic posing. So I do think that everybody in the heart triad two, three, and four are mm-hmm. pretty, pretty obsessed with posing one way or another. Yeah. Because we're so image conscious. Um, so I guess the idea of histrionic posing for two, even though I don't like the word, is a different energy of posing. It's a, it's more outward. Mm-hmm. It's more easy to see. It's um, maybe more dramatic. Yeah. Whereas like a three is more strategic, and a fours is more. Um, uh, I mean, I think a fours is dramatic as well, but and probably histrionic a lot. But I think um, maybe the difference can be that it's often inward turned and less outward focused. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It gets outward focused when you're when you're ill, but but we're we're not really talking about that exactly. Um, Impressionable emotionality at the bottom of page forty four. While Enneotype 4 and 2 are distinctly the most emotional in the Enneagram, Type 2 can be regarded a more specifically emotional type in that 4 emotionality frequently coexists with intellectual interest, Mm -hmm. while Enneotype 2 is not only a feeling type but frequently an anti-intellectual one, which is like a punch in the gut, I'm sure, for any 2s listening. And, of course, I'm sitting there going, yes, I love my, I love emotionality co-mingled with intellectual interest. Right. Um, I have I have pride about that, if I'm honest. But um, I think this just kind of points to, you know how Suzanne says there? Points out the stance. The stance stuff, mm-hmm. which is that they are, don't have a link to any, any thinking, which means they don't have an arrow or a wing or a, what else is there? All, no access to any types in the head triad. Mm-hmm. So, doesn't mean that they're not intellectual. It doesn't mean that they're not smart. Doesn't mean that they're not analytical. It just means <laughs> they have to. It, I think it's the whole dependence stance piece, it just, right? It just means that all of these things that we've been describing this uh, this uh, uh, going after people, this false abundance this assertiveness in order to get your needs met, this search for pleasure, which means to be deeply connected, um, the this intense love need all seems to, to subsume and be, it subsumes the analysis. And that's why stance work is so important because to be, to bring up analysis of why, why you're up to all those things mm-hmm. makes you less up to all those things. So I think really it's more, that's what it's about. Yeah. Um, Impressionable emotionality. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. Um, so let's see. Um, at the bottom of page 45, um, um, he's talking about uh, there. We may say that despite superficial elation, vitality, and flamboyance, there lurks 
in the type two, the proud character, a secret recognition of emptiness, mm-hmm. which feels, you know, I guess like all of us and maybe especially like a three. Um, a recognition transformed into the pain of hysterical symptoms, into eroticism and clinging to love relationships, notwithstanding the usual interpretation of this pain as a love pain. It may be more exact to regard it as no different from the universal pain of fallen consciousness Mm -hmm. beyond all types. If we do so, we can understand that it may be transformed, not only in libido, but that interpreted as a sense of personal insignificance, it sustains the will to significance that is in the nature of pride. Now that's Mm -hmm. what I wanted to, that was the nugget for me. A sense of insignificance sustains the will to significance. And I think if I were to, that would be my mantra in meditation Mm -hmm. because all of us kind of suffer from a will to significance. And all of these nine points kind of show us how we go about having significance. And so the more a two is aware of their, this inner, deep, tender sense of insignificance, the more they do not need to demand it, go after it, strive for it, blah, 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 right? You mean they're deep, deep. So if they're aware of that, that that's they're what they aware feel, of that, that that's the motivation of all of their traits, basically. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's true of all the non-numbers. Sure. The, the more you're aware of that, the what does he call it? The ontic obscuration. That's yes. what this book is. Yes. So the more each number is aware that underneath all the traits that we mm-hmm. were just talking about is this obscuration of self sense of one's being is how sense of one's being i think mm-hmm. that's better than saying self because ultimately there is no self ultimately there is being and being mm-hmm. is the flow yeah right um so i just like the i i just like thinking about a will to significance and that mm-hmm. if a two can just think about all the energy that's put into that will towards significance and that's what you're trying to drop and the only way to drop it is to to remind yourself that you already are. Yeah. Right? Significant, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. Other thing on page 47. Um, the individual fails to be as he or she is while driven to seek pleasure and excitement instead and what would like to live in the continuous ecstasy of being the center of attention. False abundance, thus, is doomed to be, after all, an emotional lie that the individual does not fully believe. So mm-hmm. I think that's a really good way to talk about like how you were saying earlier that they think they, they're full and that they're getting what they want, but they're not getting what they want because it's a, it's a lie. Well, in the second line of that sentence, false abundance thus is deemed to to be after all an emotional lie that the individual does not fully believe for otherwise they would not continue to be driven to fill up frantically Mm. the whole of deeply felt beinglessness amazing right and that's all of us we're all frantically um peddling so hard (laughs) to to just stay away from that we're trying to not we're just trying to prop up the, our idea of ourselves, right? Which is so you such know? a such a that's necessary the, energy spending, and that's so hard. There, that's their trap door. That's mm-hmm. their catch twenty two, is that they project this abundance and are frantically trying to fill it, right? Like just. The hedonism, the moving towards the all of it, um, in the ways that Naranja describes it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's all I've got. I think it's really good. I mean, I know that um, this that his language is sort of weird and that he mm-hmm. can be annoying, but I do think I have learned more about twos yeah. than any other number reading this book. And actually, to me, like intellectually, they're 
so far in this book is they're kind of the harder ones to understand and that insufficiency props up pride feels really weird to me like it, that is a it's mind game sentence. it's a mind game to think about that prop, props up pride and if i was a two i'd be like i mean that you have to really work at it you have to work to catch yourself in that you there is yeah. some deep awareness to understand because that sentence just does not make sense on the surface unless you're really looking deep because you insufficiency and pride don't seem to go together to me no they don't but I mean mm-hmm. I also think it's like it I mean you know uh you always see really confident people and 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 you know that excessive confidence means an excessive lack of confidence. Yeah. And it so could I be think the same. It, it's similar to that, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. um that excessive helpfulness and warmth and abundance is covering up an excessive hole. Mhm. Um it just all feels so warm and nice that it's I mean you know the twos and nines are have soft we're slippery y'all have soft gooby sins mm-hmm. that are <laughs> soft gooby sins y'all have soft gooby sins that are hard to pin down it's really easy because we're pin- unconscious Elizabeth <laughs> are you is that the is that what he's talking about at the top yeah Enneagram is the unconsciousness at the top of yes. the Enneagram ones so that would we're be we're just nines. sharing it with all of you generally well I'm just like splooging our psychic and spiritual slothy unconsciousness just letting it ooze down the circle (laughs) (laughs) drip drip just dripping it's our gift to you thank you Mm -hmm. madam Mm -hmm. (laughs) yep yep oh my goodness um okay is there any anything else you wanted to say like do you have any announcements Uh, do you have any any announcements lee do you have any i have no announcements um yeah, this is an intellectual exercise for me, man. And I'm glad we talked about it. Even though we, we kind of talked about it at number nine. I've, I gave up, actually, before number nine. I just you did went to other books. Oh, <laughs> I just okay. decided not to read this fully. I just was like, I can't handle it. Um, and, I and felt I, annoyed I, by him. I felt... so funny. Um, I just could not handle him. I had a whole... It was a revelation to you me. You were like, It was yeah. an absolute revelation. Yeah. And I actually gave myself a headache that night because yes. I was so excited about it. <laughs> I was so excited and energized to think yes. of twos as the pleaser who's... The pleaser pleasure seeker. The pleaser pleasure seeker that you cannot please. I mean, you maybe can please them, but they're hard to please. Yeah, yeah. And that they're getting what they want. I think yeah. that's, the, that's the other thing is that they are ultimately getting what they want. Well, well, not ultimately. They're not, not in the ultimate. deepest, truest sense of that. I know. They're yeah. getting up. They're getting. You know, I mean, I always thought, think of sevens as these people who are getting what they want, but I guess uh, two, two, twos are getting what they want. Mm-hmm. Or they're they're getting us. Mm, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I yeah. have to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> what what we've learned is we can't throw out blanket statements. That's for sure. But. For sure. There's a lot there. There's a whole lot of teaching around, too, that I think I need to work on. So if you're reading along, good luck to you. (laughs) We We recommend skipping over the histrionic concept. Yeah, I mean, it's like so intense, a little crazy, actually, at the beginning. But, all right. I like the Chaucer reference. I didn't like any of it. You didn't? I didn't like the first two paragraphs at all. I, Too much I, for me. I like I liked it because I really Chaucer really um, had a strong impact on me as a child, and that tale the was it the parsonage in particular. It's uh, a little better than Dante's Inferno. That's where he starts. God. Yeah. Um, I like all that. <laughs> now you do. I'm like so fucking intense. Is that what you Moving wrote on. in the margin? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. I love it. I, I love it. it. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. Thank you. See you later. Bye. I gave away my money and now we don't even speak. 
I drove miles and miles, but would you do the same for me? Oh, honestly. Offered up my shoulder just for you to cry upon. Gave you constant shelter and a bed to keep you warm. They gave me the heartache, and in return I gave a song. It goes on and on. Life can get you down, so I just numb the way it feels. I'll drown it with a drink and out of date prescription pills. And all the ones that love me, they just left me on the shelf. No farewell. So before I say someone else, I've got to save myself. I gave you all my energy and I took away your pain. 'Cause human beings are destined to radiate or dream.